You don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. Hi, everybody. It's another Tuesday and another episode of Big Design, Small Budget. I'm Betsy Helmuth, and I have big news to share with you guys. So far this month, we've attracted two to three times the listeners that we had last month. Crazy! So you guys are doing an amazing job in spreading the word. But I won't give you guys all the credit. I took my own advice, if some of you remember my Small Business Strategies podcast, and I changed the name of my podcast, which you might see on your iTunes feed. It's now Affordable Interior Design Presents big design, small budget, because I wanted people who were looking for an interior design podcast to find me easily. Big design could be graphic design, could be all sorts of different things. So I wanted to be really specific, niche down and change my name so that when people searched, they instantly found me. So I wanted to share my triumph with you guys, and that means that I've been getting a ton more listener questions, which are super exciting because uh, otherwise I have to generate these ideas on my own, and well, that gets old, right guys? So I'm so much more inspired when I get questions from you. This week's episode is all about Ellie. That's right. If you send in enough questions, you will get your own episode, listeners. So Ellie wrote me with a letter that is peppered with interesting and unusual questions, and I thought I would read it and share my responses with you guys today. So thanks so much for coming along for the ride. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And let's get to Ellie's letter. She writes, Hi, Betsy. I'm your newest disciple. My partner and I are moving into an adorable, impeccably maintained 1920s farmhouse. It sounds amazing. Feel free to send a link, Ellie. It's our first time officially living together, and we plan to be in this house for several years. I'm so excited to make it comfortable, functional, and clutter-free. My design experience is limited to several low-end rental spaces where I was never willing to invest in nice things. Knowing this new adventure is outside my realm of expertise, I turned to Reddit and YouTube to find useful interior design tips and came up with a giant goose egg. I'm here for you, Ellie. I've got your back. Let's keep going. I was so scared that I would have to go about this all alone because interior designers were hoarding all their knowledge. Last week I went to the library and grabbed a huge stack of books from the interior design section. I posted up in a corner to thumb through them, selected a few to check out, and the only one I have read is yours. It's helpful in a huge way. Thank you so much. I googled you, found your podcast too, and I've had lots of windshield time in the past few days and I've gotten through many of the podcasts. I'm now re-listening to them while I'm at my desk so I can jot down notes. Brilliant idea, Ellie. You can just plumb these episodes for gold mines worth of tips. I'm so humble as well. Yes. Um, I'm not even in the new house yet and I have lots of questions for your podcast. Here are some that immediately come to mind. Ellie's first question is... I know the rule of thumb about dining furniture and area rugs, but what is the rule about living room furniture and area rugs? Does each piece need to be completely on? Is it acceptable for some of the living room pieces not to be on the rug, or will that look odd? Okay, Ellie, so maybe you haven't made it through all the episodes, because I think there was one called Cut a Rug, or something about a rug. I think it was Cut a Rug, because I do love really bad puns. 
But um, anyway, I discuss how a living room rug should be placed. But I'll tell you again just to freshen your memory and to explain why I don't like living room rugs covering all the furniture. In other words, being underneath all the pieces. So in a living room, I like the rug to be at least partially under all the major pieces of seating. That means it needs to be large enough so that it's at least under the front legs of the sofa, at least under two legs of each armchair, and if you have a chaise, if you have upholstered benches, all of that seating needs to be at least partially on the rug. That's why they call it an area rug, because an area rug defines an area in your home. And in a living room, the area is known as the seating area. So all the seating, at least partially on the rug. It could be fully on, but definitely at least partially. Now, I don't like the other pieces of furniture to be on the rug. I don't personally care for the side table or the floor lamp, both of which are typically next to the sofa, on the rug. I just don't see the practicality of a side table being on a rug. It just makes it so much harder to clean and get under that side table. And I should know because several years back, I made the mistake of getting a large rug that went under my side table and it was a nightmare. Like stuff collected under there, it's so hard to get in that tiny gap between the bottom of the table and the top of the rug, and it just didn't serve any purpose, nor did it look more spectacular than it does now with it in front of that side table. I also, if we're thinking across the room from the sofa, do not like the rug to be under the TV console. In fact, I like it to be 18 to 24 inches away from the TV console because I want there to be a nice pathway, a nice visual separation between the seating area and the other furniture. Otherwise, it starts to look like wall-to-wall carpeting. And well, then you should have called Empire Today rather than finding a nice, curated, perfectly sized area rug. Let me also share with you, Ellie, that in a living room, the typical size that I find works best, whether it's a home or an apartment, is 8 by 10. It's the size I always try first because it can very easily encompass a sofa, some armchairs, and those upholstered benches I was referring to. I also love a 9 by 12. So I have a feeling looking into my crystal ball, looking into this home of yours, that an 8 by 10 or 9 by 12 area rug is going to be just the ticket for your living room. All right, let's get to your next question. I loathe overhead light, so I love your rule of three lamps per room. In our house, the entryway is large and is open to the living and office area. Do we need nine lamps total for this space? I'm happy to do it as long as it won't look cluttered. Can all the lamps be different? So I have lots of thoughts and feelings. To quote Struggle Bus, one of my favorite podcasts, I have lots of thoughts and feelings on this question. First things first, let me explain to those of you who don't know why I hate overhead lights, why I do. The problem with overhead lighting is it's harsh and unflattering. It's like an interrogation room rather than a nice, open, cozy home. They just create harsh shadows. They beat down on you. So if you have overhead lights, be sure that you put them on dimmers because overhead lighting makes you look so bad. And at least with a dimmer, you can control how bad you're going to look. 
But I love lamps in a room, whether it's a floor lamp or a table lamp, because they create cozy pools of light that also, just like a rug, help to define areas. So in terms of your question, do you need nine lamps? In a perfect world, yes. I haven't seen your entryway, so I don't know how large it is, but I recommend a lamp on the entry console, and I do think it would be delightful, especially since you own now, to potentially add some wall sconces. You would have to get them hardwired, which would require an electrician, but that can create a little cozy pool of light while not taking up any floor space or surface space, which might be at a premium in an entryway. And then in the living room, of course, I love a table lamp on a side table on one side of the sofa. And then I usually do a floor lamp on the other side, typically because I'm not a big fan of the symmetry look. I think it's a little bit boring and I prefer things that undulate. In other words, low on one side, higher on the other. I find that to be infinitely more interesting than two side tables, two side table lamps, Basically, I call that the Noah's Ark effect, the two by two by two. It's just a little bit boring and a little bit expected. So the other place I think would be delightful for a lamp is next to an armchair. You could do a floor lamp that has somewhat of a gooseneck commonly referred to as a task lamp. When you're doing a task, like working at a desk or reading in a chair, a task lamp is very appropriate, even though the amount of light that it casts is not as sufficient, is not as large, because it typically doesn't have a big shade. Typically, it's either a small metal shade or a small fabric shade that's just meant to illuminate that particular spot, that particular reading chair. And then you mentioned that it opens up into the office. So we've taken care of the living room in terms of a table lamp, a floor lamp, and then your task lamp by the reading chair. In the office, I love the idea of a desk lamp. If you have a really large desk, you could put a desk lamp on top of it. If you have a small desk and your desk workspace is at a premium, do a floor lamp next to it. Again, you might consider a floor task lamp, which typically arcs over your project or angles over your desk. What else would I put in an office? You know, you could do the sconce thing again, which is great for resale value because it gives people options for lighting without taking up any square footage in terms of on the floor or where furniture could be. I was also thinking maybe if you have like an office console where you keep extra printer supplies or files, you could put a lamp on top of that console. So you have lots of options, but yes, ideally you would have three lamps per room. But if you're worried about that taking up too much space and limiting your practicality, start with less, add more. So start with two per room. See how it feels. See how the illumination is working out for you. You can always add, and that's one of my favorite mottos in life, in design. Start with less. You can always add more. Easier to add than to take away. Am I right? Am I right? Returning's a hot mess. Add later. Let's get to your next question. We were planning to purchase an antique hall tree in addition to a console table that will double as a couch table to thwart mail and jacket clutter. But in your book, you never mention hall trees. Are they that passe? If so, could we get a dispensation for our era of home? The entryway is about 10 by 10 and the living room is immediately adjacent. 
I'm a huge fan of coat trees and coat hull trees or whatever they're called. Basically, let me illustrate it for you uh, for those of you who don't know what a hull tree is. It's typically about two to three feet wide and it's got a bench on the bottom and then it has a full back that leads up. Sometimes towards eye level, there's a small mirror and right under the mirror, there would be hooks. And oftentimes above the mirror and hooks, there are little cubbies where you could stash things like baskets for mittens. So it's kind of this all-in-one piece that is a little dated. It definitely leans transitional, traditional. It is not a modern aesthetic, even though I was in um, Manhattan East the other day and I am desperately seeking a modern hall tree. They have like a ton of them in England and for some reason they just don't make them here. So guys, when I have my own line of furniture, it's inevitable, right guys? inevitable. This is going to be on my list because I really do see the practicality of a hall tree, but I do see some warning signs I need to tell you about. There are issues with hall trees and I'm here to alert you to them right now. The first problem with a hall tree is everything is exposed. It's not like a closet where you can shut the door. So you have to keep it tidy and you have to keep it pared down. This is just a place for those season's coats. It's not a place for a heavyweight jacket and a light jacket for everyone in the family. It's also better for someone who's a little bit tidy because you could throw your handbag on the bench. You could shove your shoes under the bench. There's oftentimes shoe cubbies. You know... Can I say something controversial, Ellie? I'm just making up this analogy now, so I'm not sure it's a good idea. But I feel like entryways, well, I was going to say they're like religion. Is that weird? (laughs) Entryways are like religion. I don't want to dictate what's right for you. You have to tell me what moves you and then I'll help guide you through your path okay okay so bad analogy um let's just say they're personal how about that so for instance i'm going to tell you about my family and how we make a hall tree work because i created a mid-century modern version basically we are throw and go people So I am never going to personally open a closet door to hang up my jacket when I come home. I need a hook. I need a hook to instantly put it up or else it will get thrown on the back of the sofa. I am not a person who will open a cabinet to put my shoes away. I need the cabinet to be exposed or the shelving to already be open so that way I can just shove my shoes in the cubby. So I need to take away all the resistors that would make it hard for me to be tidy because my natural inclination is to throw and go. So how does your family work? You know, are you naturally tidy? Then I think a hall tree would be amazing. If you are naturally messy or need the throw and go, maybe you do a hall tree that does have the open cubbies for the shoes, that does have just a couple more hooks, and limits those upper cubbies. Remember the ones above the mirror I was referring to? Because that is just like no man's land. Who wants to reach up there on the daily to get their dog leash, to get their mittens? It's really hard to get to. So basically, entry solutions are very personal, but you need something that gives you just enough but not too much. Because if you have too much additional storage space, too many additional hooks, too many additional shelves for all your shoes, you will fill them and it will look messy. So I tell my clients, what do you need? I will give you just that amount and no more and then you have to be strict with yourself. 
Sorry about the tangents. You know what I'm doing today? I'm recording this at night instead of during the day, and um, I'm feeling a little punchier than normal. On that note, let's get on to our next question. The next question is, I have a dining table that I like, but it's time for new dining chairs. My table is round with two leaves for expansion capabilities. The legs of the table have an S-shaped design. I found some chairs at Cost Plus that I like, bonded leather, the Sophia chairs, but the legs are straight. Is that okay? Would the chairs look odd with that table? Should I only be looking at chairs and tables that have the same leg design? If so, I will definitely go with the straight look and get rid of the table. So, Ellie, you are betraying yourself. Did you really read that book? You better go back, honey. You better go back and look at those highlighted portions because I hate a table and chairs that looks like a set. It's too expected. It doesn't look designerly at all. It looks like you went to Cost Plus and said, I'll have the Sophia everything. What a bummer. So while I do want the wood tones of the table and the chairs to coordinate, and I happen to know the Sophia, and that's a mid-tone wood, so ideally your table is also a mid-tone wood, I really don't need the shapes to match at all. In fact, I don't want that. Let me tell you what I do want, and hopefully this is possible in your scenario, because I don't want you to get a new table if you really like yours. What you do want is you do want that if you were to walk in your room and squint, you would be able to tell that the chairs are noticeably different in terms of adding that leather texture that's a contrasting color to the table from the table. I don't want you to squint when you walk in your dining room and just see a big blob of caramel brown. In other words, don't get the brown Sophia chairs, right? Are you hearing me? So I really love the idea that the shapes might be a little bit different. The wood tones in terms of the legs might coordinate. And then you'd incorporate those fabric leather chairs so that the color could provide the contrast from the table. There you go. That's gold. Gold right there. Next question, do you order seating on overstock? What if it's not comfortable? Can I answer this with yes and no? Yes and no. All right, so you guys know I have a love affair with overstock, but if this is a chair you're going to sit in every day, if it's going to be a really heavily used chair, then I would not get it overstock. I would get it a place where you can jump on it, sit on it, try it before you make the investment. That said, I got my living room chair from Overstock. I went ahead and rolled the dice and I got it. And the look is adorable. It's not exactly what I would have wanted in terms of comfort, but it's pretty good and it's not our primary seating and I just love looking at it because it's so darn cute. So I stuck with it. In other words, any place where you want to be really comfortable, the sofa, that main armchair, I would never get at an online retailer where you couldn't personally try it with your own booty before buying it. But for accent chairs, for little cutie tooties as I call them, I have two cutie tooties in my office from Overstock. Under $200 a piece. People walk in and comment on them daily. And they are so adorable. And they are comfortable enough for somebody to sit and have a design consultation. They don't need to like kick their feet up and watch Netflix. They just need to sit there and talk to me about sofas for an hour. And they're perfect. Just perfect. And like I said, my living room chair is so cute. I forgive it. 
So it's really up to you. But the great thing about Overstock is they do have free shipping, free returns. Uh, it's free shipping if you're a Club O member. Join the club, people. Didn't you listen to Coupon Queen last week? But uh, if you're not a member, the shipping is nominal. They always have coupon codes. And like I said, they have that free returns policy. So if I ever get anything and I'm disappointed, I immediately throw it back in the box. And they are more than accommodating. So that's great right there. Worth a roll of the dice if you have more time than money to go for that seating at Overstock. But if you want to hit the nail on the head and get it perfect the first time around, make sure you sit on it in the store. All right. Oh my gosh, this question. You put it at the end, Ellie, because you were trying to stump me. And it's worked. It's worked. I have strong feelings, but maybe no clear answer. Let's go. And the Coupe de Gras. My partner drew a once-in-a-lifetime moose tag last fall and is now the proud owner of a freezer full of meat and a taxidermied moose head and shoulders we've named Rodrigo. The fireplace is on a stone wall in the living room, but there's this mantle on the wall and Rodrigo will not fit above it. In preliminary testing the waters discussions with my partner, he seemed open to hanging Rodrigo in the garage, but I know he's proud of him and would like him to be in the house. Am I okay with that? Save the bedroom. Where can Rodrigo go? Can he be looking at people when they enter? No. (laughs) Sorry, I can't help myself. Can he be above the couch looking at the stone wall? Uh, hell no. Uh, his dimensions are 43 inches wide. People, that is nearly four feet. 36 inches high, uh, that is 3 feet, and 54 inches deep, 4 feet deep. We have standard ceilings that have lovely natural wood molding that separates the wall color from the white ceiling about 10 inches below the ceiling. Please let me know if you need clarification. I do need some clarification. I think that's great. Good for you. Um, Good for you. Congratulations on the big win. Uh, Rodrigo sounds like quite a prize. Here are my thoughts. He is gigantic. Like, I could see a small taxidermied something really creating that special je ne sais quoi, a little conversation piece. One of my clients called it last week a what's it. In other words, people would walk in and be like, what's that? Um, I think Rodrigo might be more than a what's it. I think Rodrigo might be a what the hell is it. Um, He's huge, which I don't have to tell you, you know, but these sizes are out of control, man. He is gigantic. And if you put him in the entryway, he's going to be more than just a nice wall hanging. He's essentially your roommate. He's greeting people. And I'm not sure that's the first impression you want to make. And I definitely know I don't want him above your couch. I mean, how could you even stand up without hitting him? He projects four feet into the space. Uh, Of course, he can't go above the fireplace. But even if he could, he's probably bigger than the fireplace opening. And that seems counterintuitive in terms of balance having the fireplace be the focal point and Rodrigo being the decor um I think you hit the nail on the head I think you had the right idea with this garage thing and it sounds like to me you're very understanding and want your partner to be happy at the same time come on come on a four feet moose head it belongs in the garage But you know what? I have a great idea. Take a picture of it, frame it, and you can put that in your entryway or your living room. What do you think about that? So the real thing could live in the garage and you could have a picture to gaze upon in a much more proportional way in a living space. Love it. 
So your last question is, Betsy, we won't be in the house until the end of next month, but I am already looking forward to creating our perfect space in Olympia, the best city in the Pacific Northwest. Hmm. Now that wasn't me. That was her. I have never been. I'll have to visit. Um, using the Betsy Helmuth method. Do you offer remote consultation services? If so, what is your pricing? Funny you should ask, Ellie. Yes, 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 I do offer an online design package. So if you go to my company's website, affordableinteriordesign.com, I have an online package where I'll spend two hours designing with you on the phone. And ahead of time, I'll review a questionnaire that I'll have you fill out as well as your images and measurements. And then together, we'll spend that two hours creating the floor plan for one room and also sourcing all the items for that room or we can create a floor plan for two rooms with no sourcing. So it's really up to you and um, up to how many items you need. But I'd be happy to help you for the low, low price of $395. I design all over the place. Last weekend I designed in Philadelphia. A few months ago I designed in Argentina. So uh, if you need help, I'm here for you. Online design services is one of my new favorite things to do. Ellie, Thank you so much for providing so many wonderful answers for today's show. I hope that was helpful. And uh, and thank you for this last sentence in which you say, thanks for providing such fabulous resources for us 99 percenters. Ellie, that's what this show is all about. And I'm happy to be of help. I want your spaces to be fabulous, whether you're in the Pacific Northwest or right out here in New England. Guys... Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for helping our listenership to grow. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this momentum. And let's keep the momentum going. If you like this show, if you're getting value from all these wonderful moose tips, let us know about it. Write a review on iTunes. Rate us. Subscribe. Tell your friends. I'd love for you to spread the word and keep sending in these amazing questions. Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com. Keep them coming. Big thanks to my producer, Katherine Heller. Till next time, guys. Bye.
think that this is where you belong Walking the streets like a dog